Welcome to the American Horror Story podcast for the American Horror Story Hotel, brought to you by Bald Move. You can find all of our stuff on baldmove.com. Happy Halloween, everybody. Happy I'm your Halloween. Co- I'm your host, Aaron, and joining me is the very spooky... Cecily. Ooh. <laughs> uh, I'm excited. We've got... Uh, probably we'll be talking about our Halloween plans in the feedback section because someone's asking. Yeah, but right now we're going right. to talk about this episode. Episode 504, Devil's Night. Devil's Night. Where they set all the hotels on fire. It's a giant race war. I missed that. Yeah? Really? Yeah. Well, it was directed by Ryan Murphy. This is a Ryan Murphy straight uh, from the so source one, the too. Ryan Murphy subtext. Also, fun fact, we got up this morning and decided to make double white Russians, so we're kind of lit. <laughs> Just public service announcement. What did you think of this episode, Cecily? I was underwhelmed. Uh-huh. I was expecting... You know, the Halloween episode, that's that's the reason they do this, right? Mm-hmm. I was expecting something flashy. I was expecting last year's ho- double Halloween episode. We got Wes Bentley that year, who played a character whose name I can't really remember. Yeah. But it was awesome. Two-Face, I think was the name. Two-Face? Yep. Uh, right, that was it. <laughs> and I was just ex- expecting more of the same, and I didn't... I didn't really like this episode because I went into it with expectations too high. Well, I will say that I think that this season so far seems to be tracking better than Freaks. That, um, you know, the first episode I wasn't really into, but ever since then, I've enjoyed it. And like you, the first time we watched this, I was a little underwhelmed. Because last year, as you said, you had this two-parter that delved into the backstory of Twisty, which was by far, by far the best part of last episode. it made us laugh. It made us laugh. (laughs) And... I didn't like it. I was kind of left cold. I thought some of the serial killer performances were hammy. Yeah. Uh, but the second time, I kind of enjoyed it. Now, I still think Alex is a terrible character. She's a dumpster fire of a character, and I don't know what they're going to do because turning her, I doubt, is going to improve the well, situation. Well, I don't know. Let's adjust our expectations, as I'm constantly reminding myself to do. Maybe this is what puts the fire under her character, and now we'll see something interesting. Well, I was just about to say that <laughs> that, say. Me- that mega eternal mom is going to be an interesting character, but that's pretty scary in itself. Yeah, like a helicopter mom that he- never... Helicopter super mom, and they have this dynamic forever yeah. and ever. Helicopter glampire mom is not something that I want to truck with. But it's funny because you like got this like just this just in face hug. <laughs> Walter Cronkite just got news that <laughs> this is fast pace. Yeah. We're just flying by the seat of our pants over here. Um, Let's okay. get into the episode proper. Right in, right, right into it. Okay, so we see uh, Richard Ramirez, mm-hmm. who is the Night Stalker, come into the hotel, and he's all flash and rock star vibe. He signs into the guest book. Uh, Liz Taylor sees him and is starstruck. Mm-hmm. Um, again, Dennis O'Hare just killing it. So he exposes that it is Devil's Night. He has a standing reservation. This is his second year? He says he's been coming for two years. So this is his second year. Which I thought was weird that she was so starstruck. Liz Taylor. I don't know. I actually we need don't to know. know more about Liz Taylor. I it's don't, about damn time. Yeah, like I don't know whether she considers herself a woman or whether she's a man that just enjoys dressing and drag. 
I honestly don't know what pronoun to use. Uh, I have as as just don't. has he just, or she. Um, they just... prefer their name is Liz. Let's just go with Liz. Okay, Taylor. that's true. That's a good point. She's got a uh, she's got a woman's name. She probably identifies as a woman. Yeah. So sweetie, you can't go around calling yourself Liz Taylor and then <laughs> want to identify as a man. <laughs> Are you Dennis O'Haring me right now? <laughs> it's so much fun to do. It's so much fun. He's having so much oh, fun playing that's, this character. That's what's what's making the season is that he. Like, it's the I didn't shoes, think he could have. It's the outfits. It's the makeup. It's the flair. It's yeah. the soda pop. It's... Yeah, like honestly, I think I'm going to stop calling him Russell Edgington and just start calling him Liz Taylor yeah, because I he's... think he's finally having more fun than he was as Russ Edgington. By the way, I realize that this show kind of gets like all of the bald move shows kind of gets like uh, the Jim Rome show where like That's we just mean. have all this jargon and inside jokes and like if you're just joining us, you don't get it. But the reason we call Liz Taylor. Russell Edgington is because no, the reason of... we call Dennis O'Hare Russell Edgington yes. is because he has immortalized himself in our memory as his character Russell Edgington from True Blood. Yes. So if you want to hear more about that, please check out our True Blood coverage on baldmove.com. Speaking of dumpster fires, last season of True Blood. Yeah, the one season we covered was a dumpster fire. It was the hugest turd ever. But whatever, we'll we'll make up for it. We're probably going to do. Is this uh, is this going to be our pattern? We're just going to do a podcast no, on episode on seasons no, that are ending because next year we're going to we're going to be doing the Penny last Dreadful, season of Banshee. But Penny Dreadful's got legs, and we're going to be Penny all over Dreadful's that. Dreadful's good. Okay, so you yeah. got that? Where we that's our 2016. Spo- you know, just so you know. Spoiler alert: We've got more coming. All right, get back to the episode. No one gives a shit about this. <laughs> Uh, what? So yeah, I, the one thing I was uh, the whole reason I went on this whole Liz Taylor uh, distraction yeah. is that I thought it was weird that she is still starstruck by Mr. Ramirez when he is checked in. It's his second year, third, right? He died in 2013. So yes, no, I guess this would be his second year. Maybe she had the night off last year. Maybe she forgot. I mean, we that had it no was idea Halloween. what this character's p- particulars are. Like you have to be are. expecting five or six serial killers to show up tonight. It's Devil's Night. How do mm. you not know? Yeah. But yeah, it's the attitude that sells it. So Liz shows him up to a room and as they're walking and talking, he says that he was hoping Charlie Manson could join, Um, but he's still got a prison sentence left. So Liz Taylor says, you were questioning how the serial... Oh, you want to start this now? I mean, we may as well, because I think it starts with Charlie Manson. Charlie Manson is not dead, and that's the reason he's not in attendance. So, But you are under the impression that there are living serial killers who can't attend. No, I'm saying, like, just if we just look at this logically, that I think he's got a particular list of serial killers that he invites, but you have to be able to attend. If you're in prison, you're not going to be able to get out to go to the serial killer ball. The Zodiac Killer, as you say, is presumed dead, but in my research, that's not clear at all. No one knows if he's dead or not. That's true, but John says he is presumed dead, and that's the reason he's there at the table. Well, but I'm I'm just saying, just if we look at what the facts are in hand, you can say that it's most likely you have to be dead to attend this because everybody else is dead except for the Zodiac Killer potentially and Manson. But I'm saying there is a glimmer. Like I don't know that we can make it a hundred percent concrete rule because no one actually says you have to be dead. And also, but there's a lot of people speculating that John is. Well, we'll get to that. Okay. The night, John's not dead. The Night Stalkers, but John's not a serial killer, quote unquote. 
Is the he? First, Isn't he? We will get into that later. <laughs> at all. This is just fucking fight about the whole episode. Uh, Night Stalker says that this is his second year attending. His first year was the first year he died. Eileen Warnos also says this is her 13th year. It's been 13 years since she died. So I think but they were also, that's what... The important thing about these is they're all in prison. So they also were not free to attend because they'd all been caught. So their Zodiac only Killer escape was has death. not been caught. Who? Zodiac. That's what I'm saying. So he could just just walk in off the street because he got the invitation. How do you invite someone who you can't even make up a character for? Because the master met him while he was uh, alive. Obviously, he met all these people while they're alive. So he would have a way to get in contact. He could just send a letter to the Cortez with his cross circle sign. And hey, guys, I'm just happy to be invited. That's right. He's happy to be nominated. Okay, so. Liz shows You're so irritated with me right now. No, I'm not. I've just got more to say on it, but I want to do it later. Okay. Um, so Liz shows him to the room, gives him a key, and he says, I don't need a key. I just need to know where the room was so that he can go around the backside and climb in through their window. He starts looking through their stuff. He eats their leftovers before he murders the man with a lamp. And as the woman, he tries to strangle her and he tells her to swear to Satan. That she won't scream. Right. Um, and then she leaves. I was doing... What? She leaves? She gets strangled herself. Because she looks over at her husband, sees his ruined face, and then screams, and he says, liar, and then presumably strangles her to death. No. She she escapes, and she runs oh, out into the right. hallway. Um, I was going to stop for a second and say that I did some really depressing research last night you on did. all of these serial killers. You went killers. deep on these serial killers. I read, I read the Night Stalker's list of everyone he had killed or... Not kill, killed and also victimized because the unfortunate thing about Richard Ramirez, as with all serial, serial killers and rapists, is that he didn't actually kill everyone. Um, yeah. He preyed on a lot of elderly women, mm-hmm. a lot of invalids, mm-hmm. and he would break into their homes and rape them and mm-hmm. sodomize them and then leave and some and then a lot of or a couple of people he shot in the face Mm -hmm. and the body and they didn't die Mm -hmm. so yeah i read that he shot some woman in the face with a 22 and she like uh, defensively raised her hands and had her car keys yeah and it reflected and 22s being the bullshit round that they are just bounced right off the car keys yeah and And then she followed bald move rule number two which is always play dead pretend like the bullet hits you you die and she lived no, she died. Oh, damn the, it. The first bullet deflected. She put her keys down and he shot her. Well, see, she should have followed bald move rule number two exactly. for life. Play dead. Yeah. So she's dead now. So she can't take that advice. There is a man that he shot twice in the head who lived. Mm. There's a woman who got shot through the face who lived. Mm. And countless others. There's so many. He would go out at night and sometimes hit multiple houses in the mm-hmm. same night. I mean, it's just so disturbing. But the thing that disturbs me most about... Most of the serial killers that are pictured here mm-hmm. is that these people have living victims. Yeah, like Dahmer. Can you imagine being someone Ramirez. watching this show that, for all intents and purposes, is glorifying these serial killers? They're they're coming in like rock stars, and yeah. Liz Taylor is starstruck seeing them. It's I mean they're dead, and they get what they want, and they're living this posh life. I mean it's. Yeah, I mean, I, it's it's a fine line. I'm not sure that you, I would say that they're being glorified, but you can make the argument for sure. And you were telling me this oh, one story about like a three year old little boy who watched his mother get 
raped and then murdered in front of him while he was tied up and he's still alive no 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 no. no. they're both living yeah the mother was raped and sodomized so badly that she couldn't she couldn't get help herself all she could do was untie the little boy after it was over and send him to the neighbors to get help yeah so i mean being that adult little boy now yeah knowing about this i i I don't know what it's like to be that person it's not no it's a very unique person that is but I just think it deserved to mention. So, uh, but also, I thought that that's the thing is that the thing that I think Ryan Murphy has a defense is that a lot of this episode reads to me like a critique of American culture, where serial killers are glorified and people write books and read books and collect their art and think they're so interesting. And there's like a whole cottage about that. So, I th- he's been doing it for five seasons. Holding up a mirror to American culture. Well, I, guess I mean, it, don't I, get me wrong. I sat there and I read multiple Wikipedia pages and just like aghast at what yeah. I'm reading, but I didn't stop. No, I, I just don't it's know. It's the that same you reason can make... we. It's the same reason we love horror movies. Yeah, I don't know that you can make art for the victims of crimes. Right. Um, exactly. I think it's a difference between a movie, a horror movie that's a made-up story, yeah. and a bunch of serial killers getting together celebrating. The fact that they are serial killers who are dead now and mm-hmm. living it up. But well, we'll see how the rest of the season plays out. Right. But yeah, no, I that is an interesting point. To, and I know people were discussing it on the forums, too. So it wasn't just us that kind of picked up the strangeness of what what this must be. Yeah. So so anyway, she escapes. She runs out into the hallway and she sees Mr. March and she says, help, there's a killer after me. And he, should, he said, there's a killer before you. And he catches... Ramirez for her and um, explains that he brought this couple in. What this couple came from Arizona. They came to the hotel because the Marriott is full. Um, next scene. Thank God for overflow. Or Cortez would never get any bookings. <laughs> what know. must the Yelp reviews be like? <laughs> Abysmal. Three for three out of ten. Ran <laughs> screaming bloody from my room after my twin was murdered, but was clean. And retro decor. And there was complimentary breakfast. Would not stay again. <laughs> uh, so the phone rings in John's room, waking him up. It's Scarlett. She is in... Um, she's gone to Disneyland. She's staying with her grandmother currently. Mm-hmm. Um, he says, well, I'm going to pick you up later. We need to go shopping for Halloween. And she says that she doesn't feel like it this year. Okay. She seems like a little young to be out on Halloween. But then again, it's California. A little young to be out on Halloween? Yeah. What do you mean? Like, what do you think she is? Nine, ten years old? Like, I feel like the preteen years, like the 12 to 13 is where you start thinking about, am I old, too old for this? It's still kind of fun, but yeah. the neighbors are, seem like they're suspicious of me and they don't want to give me candy and, you know, you're too, but you're too young. There's like this gap <laughs> from 13 to 18 where you're too old to dress up and go out for candy, but you're too young to participate in adult Halloween. Yeah, that I mean, it's a wide expanse too, mm-hmm. where you are. I think there needs to not be not doing anything for Halloween. They, there needs to be adolescent Halloween, like where it's like, okay, you're not gonna have a bunch of sexy kittens and dudes rip the dudes kids as dress a, up and like go to a sock hop or something. Or maybe they do like a I don't know laser tag, or they do scary. They they do ghosts in the graveyard mm-hmm. until one o'clock in the morning. Or there needs to be something for teenagers to do in Halloween that's not just. TPing, ha- oh, that's what they do. They that's TP they houses. Do. They yep. find the All teacher right. they hate the most, and they TP their house. Yep. All right. 
Sorry, I forgot about that. <laughs> it's been a while <laughs> since I've been a teenager. And he says, well, we can go do something else. And she says, ah, I want to make banana cream pie yeah. and stay with grandma. And he says, you mom are weird. I just well, want to make pie. <laughs> he says, well, things are kind of weird right now, huh? And she's like, yeah, so I got to go. I got, you know, I just remembered something came up. He hangs up and realizes that the ceiling is bleeding. Sure. We got another uh, shining in infusion into the episode. Yep. So we cut up to Miss Effort, Miss Evers, and she is washing the sheets in the bathtub. And every time she gets a stain out, it just grows double in size. Mm-hmm. And she flashes back to taking her son trick or treating. Um, she ushers him to the houses and just puts a sheet on him. She just gave him a sheet with two holes in the eyes. She did. She did put uh, a him on the eye holes, though. She did. It wasn't just a total. And I also got to say, for 1920s, what the fuck is wrong with the ghost? The ghost costume say. is classic. She mentions that it's good enough for ET. It's good enough for your snot nose ass. Yeah, she mentions that other kids can only get a cheap mask to put on or something to that effect. I googled 1920s Halloween You're costumes. All over this, yes. Yeah, and I showed you some of those. They were pretty creepy. Honestly, yeah, 1920s era co- Halloween costumes were by far creepier than it's it's usually just paper mache weird old like saw serial killer masks. Yeah. With regular contemporary clothes. Yeah. So I think I think that a sheet over your head is like step up, honestly. It's come full circle back to being just incredibly scary from what used to be, I don't know, fun, cute. What did they think that was? Was it always know. meant to be scary? I don't I'm Yeah, like, maybe yes. that's what it was. Like and or maybe it's only creepy because it's black and white and kind of overexposed. Yeah. And also, these pictures are really hard to find because when I searched for 1920s Halloween costumes, uh-huh. I got 16 Google pages of sexy women in flapper dresses. Yeah, sure, sure. And I was kind of surprised because I thought the 1920s, maybe they'd be more elaborate because it's the roaring 20s and style was so big. And But uh, no, it looked like it was pretty... pretty uh, See, that's the other reason why I can't really confirm that they were period appropriate because it was so hard to actually find. But... um. But yeah, so he got lucky with the ghost costume. I thought so. I thought there's some of this is a bit, uh, and, you know, and then there's and then this we, thing about neglecting your kids. And I don't know that turning your back on them for 10 seconds when they're 15 feet away is fucking neglect. Because in both not. cases in this episode, it's like. Absolutely not. No, like. This is propagating the fact that you take your eye off. I mean. Yes. Does Ryan Murphy think that helicopter mom is the ideal mom? I don't know if that's another takedown because the vast, you know, the reality is kids don't get kidnapped that often. When it does, they it's don't. always it's a tragic thing. But I don't know that you can blame the parents. Exactly. Especially I mean, in this if, case again, like she, he was ten foot away. Some kid, guy, just snatched him, threw him in the car. If, if someone's gonna snatch your kid, someone's gonna snatch your kid. Yeah, they're the kind of sick person that has these these machinations in their head to do this. Yeah. And you can't blame yourself for that because there are sick people. So we move on to her going on and on about this. Um, I understand why she feels guilty about it. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, if that happened to me, I'd absolutely feel guilty. But, you know, it's you cannot have eyes in the back of your head and watch your child 24-7. Like crime, while rare, does, does occur. Yeah. So she's going on and on and about this Marie Antoinette costume. This, I thought, was a little 
too advanced for a 1920s Halloween costume. I don't think costume. adults dressed up in Halloween costumes. I don't think so either. I mean, I don't know. Maybe they did. Maybe they had big Halloween bashes. But this is just a mom dressing up to take her kids to trick-or-treating. Yeah. My dad never, you know, I didn't, I did trick-or-treat it up till I was about five or maybe six. No. It's kind of fuzzy. My parents didn't even go with me. I'm one of those kids who could have. <laughs> you just were free range. like, snatch me, please. Somebody pay attention. <laughs> <laughs> free range Halloween child? <laughs> yes. Sure. All right. Uh, so... Uh, a man approaches her son and coaxes him into the car. Again, I think the real neglect comes from when you teach your child to not question the fact that someone who is not your parent is trying to lead you away. Mm-hmm. Um, that when you are yelling after the child, you make no attempt to turn around or maybe acknowledge your parents. That's where the neglect comes in. But I don't know the 1920s, that- they taught kids stranger danger. No. No, no, no. Maybe not him so much. Maybe I'm talking more about Holden in the later scene. Uh, but like when he says, come get in my car, you should be like, mommy, can I go with this man? Yeah, right. I don't know. Anyway, so John knocks on Mrs. Everett's Victim door blaming. and Classy. she starts, shut your mouth. And she <laughs> she starts to panic like, oh, I'm covered in blood. What am I going to do? She answers and says, oh, this happens every year. I just, I lost my boy. I go a little mad. And he asks how she lost him. Um, she confesses that she feels mostly she feels guilty about the costume and if she had gotten him a proper costume and paid attention that this wouldn't have happened. She says, would you like to come in for a sherry? He says no. And she asks that he pour her one and come in and comfort her. It's actually a woman named Sherry that they were going to butcher. <laughs> uh, flashback again to the ranch where the children are being kept in chicken coops. This is fucking... This is more... This, this is terrible. And mostly by the implication... The like nothing real, yeah. No, it's like dinner style. You know, nothing tr- too terrible was shown, but you have kids in chicken wire cages, and then the quick lime and scattering their bones in a mass grave. Terrible, terrible things happen. Now, you again, I says, I guess I should just assume that everything is based on a real story here, because yeah. this chicken coop killer is something real that actually did happen in the twenties. Exactly. More terrifying Wikipedia research uncovered that there was a man named Gordon Northcutt, who was twenty between twenty three and twenty five years old, the same age that uh, Richard Ramirez is. I found their youth to be surprising. Hmm. Um, but. Both people who suffered really traumatic childhoods and inflicted it on a lot of other people. But what he did, and they were called the Wineville Chicken Coop Murders. Mm-hmm. And what he did is he had his young, his 13-year-old cousin come and stay with him and assist him in finding these children that he would lock up in these chicken coops and he would molest them. And then he would take them back to their homes and just drop them off and just... How did he get away with that? Did they mention? Because that seems like I, they. I mean, the presumption was that they were so young, or maybe he got them from a home that was so far away that they didn't know who he was, and they mm. couldn't actually identify. Yeah, how would him. a how would a five year old boy identify a man in the twenties? You know. Yeah. Um. So that's how he got away with Jesus. it. Yeah. So Gordon Northcutt's mother came along, and she comes to visit, and he is avoiding the chicken coops at all costs. And she's like, all right, I have to go see what's in there. She goes and sees that he's keeping a little boy in there. She recognizes the little boy and says, this little boy is going to be able to identify you. He went to church with us, blah, blah, blah. Mm-hmm. She is the one that led to him starting to kill the little boys. Mm. So they started to get in on it together. What? 
Yeah. So the what the fuck is wrong with her? The thirteen-year-old Canadian cousin got out somehow, and Gordon Northcutt and his mother were eventually caught. They found three bodies, like described here, um, in a mass grave, and it's well. Wait, wait a second. Three bodies does not a mass grave make. No, they don't know how many bodies. That's like a few, a few grave, not a mass grave. No, they don't know how many people actually died. Can't there you were, count like pelvises or? There were three confirmed, but it's believed that with the quicklime and all that, oh. maybe being buried other places, that there were approximately thirty. Jesus. Yeah. So pretty gross. Um. So all that she was returned was the bloody sheet that she gave that. The Halloween costume she gave her son, and the he, re, the okay, and this is we're talking about Ev, Ev, Evers now. Yeah. Okay. Back to present day, she says that they don't know how many children were killed. Like I said, and she's finally introduces herself formally as Hazel Evers, and she says, "Well, I have to confess that I've known for a long time we were kindred spirits because I am literally a spirit. <laughs> <laughs> I've been creeping on you at night." And then she starts to she starts to go mad again and says, "I have to clean. I have to prepare for this party. It's always refill, refill, refill." And so John goes to leave after her, looks directly at the bloody bathtub, and just leaves. Yeah. Chooses to ignore it. So what do you think about that? They even I, they even played with our mind a little bit. Like, he looked in the bathroom, like, maybe we weren't seeing what was there. And then as he leaves, the mirror reflects that there is blood. No, but, I mean, that's they're playing with the concept of John losing his mind and being an unreliable na- narrator. It's still too early in the season for me to nail down exactly what they're trying to do here. But it's interesting. So the detective enters John or detective captain. I'm not exactly sure what this man's title is because we haven't actually been introduced to him. Um, He said he comes in and confirms to John in his office that the junkies blood is not the junkies own blood. And John says, we knew that though already. Yeah. But now we have confirmation. He says, why do I not know that about a man killing approximately 20 children? He says, well... In our backyard. Yeah, it's called the Wineville Chicken Coop Murders. The town changed its name. Also true, they changed it to Mira Lima <laughs> after the chicken, mur- chicken coop murders because that's all they were known for after that. And so he looks, he finds that information and realizes that the crimes took place in the 20s and Mrs. Evers couldn't possibly still be alive. I actually had a photo of her not aged a yeah. day. Which is really disrespectful to the victims. But, you know, they also used to print pictures of dead bodies in newspapers and magazines and things yeah, like that. Yeah, I imagine, sure. Um, so the, the thing I noticed in this scene is there's this camera shot of over John's head coming down in front of his face. Did you notice that John's hair is significantly more gray now than it was at the beginning of the season? I thought I... Uh, like he's I, got actually, presidential I it was, hair. <laughs> I actually wondered if it was only that... That shot? That shot. And this is something that they were playing with, like the fact this timelessness that maybe he is showing him as an old man looking at... The, I don't I don't know, but I... In every other shot, he looks like he has jet black hair, and yeah. that shot was noticeably Yeah, there was a lot gray. of sunlight, yeah. Yeah. It's whatever the opposite Grecian formula. Roman formula. They use Roman formula on him, and he, he's a little dusty. 
Okay. My mistake, I jumped ahead of Alex bringing Holden home. Uh-huh. Um, they enter the house and the dog loses its shit because I guess dogs can sense spiritual things. They can, they're, they're very sensitive to vampires. Yes. That's why we need a dog. <laughs> I think we're at serious risk. Uh, so she takes the dog and locks it in the bathroom. Well, we don't want Lady Gaga creeping in her window at night. Is that what you're saying? Uh, I guess you're right. <laughs> um, well, by the end of the scene, we find out it's really more of a glampire attraction. Uh. Um, she tries to open the drapes, and he says, it's too bright. Uh-huh. Even though they were just outside. Uh-huh. In this f- okay. Just going to move past that. Um, she says, I'm just going to do a quick exam. She takes his temperature and he's only at a brisk 75.5 degrees. I assume his room outside temperature for... It's child temperature, right? That's <laughs> sure. Cool. Sure. I don't know. Nothing about children. <laughs> he says, I'm thirsty. And she's like, I'm fine, thirsty. I'll just get you all the juice in the house. Man, and they really played <laughs> with her nuzzling up against his neck and her face. Yeah. Like, I'm just... I was waiting for him to full-on bite her this whole scene. If Elizabeth hadn't have intervened, she would have become a vampire anyway. Am I right? Uh, probably, eventually, uh, sure. Yeah. yeah. Um. So she goes to the kitchen. She pours some orange juice, and she just spills it everywhere, and she's a hot-ass mess. Ugh, and she starts Alex. to lose it. And then she's like, that's what I need to do. Get a second glass and get him apple juice. Mm-hmm. So she brings those two glasses back to him, and... I got to confess, I absolutely love sh- slow-mo shots of glass breaking after okay. it's being dropped. All right. I don't know why. Freak. <laughs> it's cool. Um, so she, you know, you pan around the couch and finds that Holden has eaten the dog. The dog's still alive. The do- yeah, it's like the dog's just like, yeah, it's cool. You can drink from me. He's just having a snack. Dog, I mean, I, man's I, best friend. I, yeah, Holden's best friend. I don't know... Why they chose to show that, but they chose to show the dog still breathing on the ground, even though he had his, like, neck thing ripped open. And also, you know, Gaga, you can't even get your own glampire rules together. Like, she even mentioned that they don't bite, they cut. This kid's biting, unless he's got a little onk dagger that he's got around his neck. That's right. I mean, because we saw the children, when the Swedish girl was still locked in the body cage, we saw three children clearly biting and feeding on their arms on her arms mm. did we see them the bite i assumed that they could be yeah, i mean we came in the mid sucking on them so i guess kathy bates could have sprung them a leak i i don't know i don't i don't understand why murphy took the big stand about these aren't vampires these are something else it's like they're literally the only thing they're not classically vampire about right. is they don't have fucking teeth they don't have in, incisors to grow out so they can the bite right but if you didn't give a fuck and you were in a vampire, you were just a, a glampire, I'm sure you could tear someone's throat out of your teeth without much trouble. I'm sure I could do it right now. <laughs> Whoa. Um, <laughs> so, I mean, if you want to use a bejeweled glove, then whatever, you know? Yeah. Bejazzle that thing away. But I, I'm just saying that I feel like you could get it done. I don't know. Whatever. They're still vampires. I'm sorry. In this scene, he says, I want to go see. My, my mommy. I want my mommy. And she's like, I am your mom. And he's like, no, my real mom. <laughs> <laughs> so she brings him back to the hotel. He immediately runs up the stairs and she has a moment where she's like, oh, this bullshit again. Um, Again, love Liz Taylor mm-hmm. manning the front desk and just giving Alex stank face. Mm-hmm. Um, she deserves it. Yeah. So she runs up the stairs after him and then they go back downstairs to the 
swimming pool room and he hops in his coffin for a nap and elizabeth appears behind alex mm. and says you must have a lot of questions well i've got answers yeah and that's the thing like i kind of naturally want to defend alex because i think a lot of what gaga says next is bullshit but i'm not sure if i said this in a podcast or just in our private conversations alex is a full-on dumpster fire of a character um chloe savini or whatever her name is is terrible i think elizabeth portraying her, recognizes that this character is is kind of terrible itself i have no i mean this should be be very impactful for me but like i felt more for miss evers telling you know the whole didn't you love me mommy why didn't you why'd you let me get abducted mommy story than i did for all this alex stuff which pretty sure not is not what murphy was going for i mean it's shocking because she is almost a completely different person than she was, what was it, three seasons ago in Asylum? Mm. Well, that uh, doesn't surprise me because, again, this is an anthology, so people are different. Like, No, no, no. I mean, like, the way she's portraying her character. Uh-huh. Um, I mean, obviously, the look of her, she's grown older, but it's just, she did really great work in Asylum. Okay. I liked her Shelley character. It. And she's done some different things since then. I liked her in Portlandia two seasons ago, but yeah. she's terrible this season. Nothing yeah, about Yeah, I mean, this. I was I was all on board. I was already on her side before it started, ready to defend her, and she's just not giving me anything Do you to think work she's, with. Did you think she just didn't really want to come back, but she came back for the check and she's just phoning it in? Because she is doing nothing. No, I think I think that she's under the impression that this monotone blank face is portraying uh, a mother who's lost hope. But you got to adjust it with the scenes and what you're experiencing. Yeah, I, yeah, I don't know. But. Little little Natalie Portman, the Phantom Menace for me. Yeah. So uh, Elizabeth pours her a drink and she says she sensed her longing and her devotion moved her. And Holden felt it himself. And that's why he revealed himself to Alex's character mm-hmm. when we see that. With Scarlet and John, he was a little more elusive. Um, and she was saying that she saved Holden from neglect. Here are her exact words. Alex said, I never neglected my son. Elizabeth says, can you say the same about your husband? And I thought she was accusing her of neglecting both her son and husband, which I'm like, all right, fair enough about John, because she, in her crazy person monologue, she talked about how she never really loved John, and how I could see that. And most of the reviews I read had the same impression, that yeah. she was saying, but you did neglect your husband, and so that's, I took So it's your, your fault that he neglected your child and got abducted or whatever. Yeah, but I think what she's saying is that your, your husband neglected your son, so for that reason, you did not deserve to have your son anymore. But again... Even though the doting mother was there with them, yeah, just turn, not at that moment. Again, turning your back on your child to make a brief phone call while he's riding on a ride, I don't think is fucking neglect. Now... Maybe we'll eventually find out that it it was, but from the information I got here, I just I'm just annoyed with this storyline. I think it's the also, festival owner's fault for not having a fucking gate around the carousel. Yeah, it's it's a it's a free for all melee on that uh, <laughs> goddamn merry-go-round. But I also think that when you put Alex and Elizabeth together, that their characters have zero chemistry. I feel like Gaga took sleeping pills in all of her scenes. Uh, and Chloe was terrible. I, I, these scenes are just a fiasco. And I, I've liked God. I mean, you guys know I've liked Gaga this Mm -hmm, season, mm -hmm. but she's full on Marilyn Manson, no eyebrows. And she's doing the weird, 
you know, aloof vampire shtick, and Alex is doing her weird <laughs> mom shtick, stick. and it's just not not playing well for me at all. Did not feel yeah. any of this. Yeah, so um, we flash back to John ending a phone call. Uh, just a quick continuity note. In every other scene that we've seen that they flash back to this, he was always just tur- had his back and he was texting. Mm-hmm. So he, he answered the phone to say, yeah, I'll see you at the office and then hung up immediately. So it seemed, I it it that seemed like strange. it was work because we've been speculating whether he had an affair or not. Yeah, this, so maybe that's this is feeling, that in feeling workish. Yeah. So, um, which you can neglect your child for work. I have not seen the evidence here. Yeah. So, especially a two second phone call. Are you yeah. kidding me? Yeah. This is the guy who reads stories to his daughter over FaceTime. Not a neglectful father. Doesn't seem like it. Um, you can now see Elizabeth in the background of these scenes. Um, so Elizabeth takes Holden and she looks fly with the she's looking fly as the hell. Victorian Gothic umbrella and, and veil sun and hat. Yes, that's not a yes. sun hat. And so as she's leading Holden away, they're all of them as a team are all screaming, Holden, Holden. Why doesn't he react at all? Why doesn't he He's take been... a look behind him? Why doesn't he? You know, at the end of their walk down the beach, she starts to be pulling him. I don't know. I needed more. He's being glamour pired. Okay. <laughs> All right. That's enough of an answer for me, I guess. <laughs> um, and she says, uh, Alex says, enough of your bullshit. Tell me what's going on. And she says that he contracted an ancient virus, a blood disorder. And she pulls out her, she pulls out her gun and says, no, seriously, enough of your bullshit. <laughs> Um, change him back. And she says, well, I can't do that, but I can change you and you can be with Olden forever. And then you guys can live here and annoy me forever. And yeah. Why does Gaga think this is a good idea? I don't know. I do not know. She I made a mistake. Is, like I, she, I hope this is a, she was like, I guess you weren't that neglectful. So yeah, I, I hope this is a much bigger game that she's playing because right now this just seems like an uninteresting, boring thing to do with yeah. both of these characters. Right. So she offers her the sherry, I'm going to say, with the tiny glass. Okay. In the most efficient way possible to slap it out of her hand dramatically. Sure. And so Tristan breaks in and punches her to the ground. Which I'm all for. Honestly, at this point, I'm like, yes, Tristan, go, Tristan. Yeah. And he steps on her throat and Elizabeth says, no, let her go. (laughs) Said, what you're banging her too? No, uh, yeah, he he says that he thinks that she might go to the cops, and she's like, "Nah, it's not gonna happen." And Tristan expresses how dumb he is. Uh-huh. I love uh, him. <laughs> yeah. So John arrives at the bar on the second floor, and she says, or and Liz says, "Ginger ale, Shirley Temple." Uh-huh. <laughs> and he says, "You know what? My wife says I'm not an alcoholic, and I'm just gonna I let her prove that bitch wrong. I'm gonna let her tell." <laughs> Tell me who I am. So after not drinking for years, it has uh-huh. to have been years. I don't know. No, it's been years since Holden was taken. He decides to go with the double martini, so he's just going to go ham. Sure. A simple mixed drink would have probably got him pretty lit up, but what do I know? Control I know is double... just an illusion. And yeah, indeed. Oh, my God. This, so this line, control is an illusion. I surrender to the illusion. What the fuck is... 
is Ryan Murphy just writing terrible dialogue? And I know he wasn't actually the writer of this episode, but is he directing terribly written dialogue or is he actually lampooning a bit of the hard-boiled detective noir kind of speech? Like this is something ridiculous that a Sam Spade would say in a very bad version of his own novel. I feel like it's both things. Because I thought it was funny. So I'm like, well, maybe it's intentional. But I don't feel like they realize that that line didn't actually make sense. Like if it but that's had the made whole sense, thing. it would have been. That's why it's funny. I don't think so. Control is an illusion, so I submit to the the illusion. So the illusion is that he's submitting to being a controlling person? Fuck if I know. All right. I just thought it was a really funny, funny line. I just don't know if it's intentionally funny or unintentionally funny. funny and stupid and campy. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Speaking of that, Eileen Warno shows up, and she's jazzing it down the hallway. I'd say she's more bopping it. It's more of a bop than a jazz. Be bopping. To Natalie Merchant's Carnival, which I found out in my research mm-hmm. is the song that that uh, she got way Eileen Eileen Moore Waros Warnos Eileen Warnos. She got way into Natalie Merchant when she was on death row and requested that to be played at her funeral. Like you do, dogs mm-hmm. do it, cats do it. Yep, even dying convicts do it. <laughs> so let's do it. Let's play Natalie Merchant. So she shows up at the bar and she says, I would do a headstand and a skirt for a ciggy and a beer. And John says, well, I'm drunk, so drinks are on me. She reveals that it's her 13th year coming to Devil's Night. Mm-hmm. And Lucky 13. John recognizes her. She says the only way you would know me is if you were looking for a hooker along I-95 in or Florida. Or if you've seen the movie Monster with yeah. Charlie's there on. Spoiler alert. It's the same person. Uh, Liz says, I, or tells Eileen that he is a police officer and he's also a special guest of the hotel. Mm. Um, I don't think I mentioned, I did. This, I think, is clue number one that confirms Hef from the forum's theory that John might be a serial killer. I think he's onto something there. And she, um, expresses how much she does not like the police. He thinks she's in costume still because he's drunk. And um, Eileen talks about why she is the person she is. You just give everything so they can't take. And then they take and take and you pretend it doesn't hurt. I think it's weird because there is a sympathetic story of Eileen that she... I, I, I was a little annoyed by how out of both sides of the their mouth this this episode treated this character like is she a sympathetic victim of men brutalizing prostitutes because um john said in full cop mode well most of your uh most of your victims had no previous uh priors of violence when i did some research and from what i remember of the movie um, her first victim, maybe two, were convicted rapists. And also, just because you didn't get caught doesn't mean you weren't a fucking garbage person. Sure, there's there a lot of, ra- of there's a lot rapists. of unreported and unconvicted rapists walking around out there's there. There's murderers. There's shitty people out there who so, don't have a record. Yeah, so they're like pl- planting her as a sympathetic figure, but she's also here on Devil's Night, which internally for the show's chronology means she is a dyed in the wool killer. And then as soon as she set- gets John up into her bedroom. She tries to subdue and murder him and start spouting how you took things from me, took things from me. And I'm like, what the fuck? What is your editorial point of view of Eileen Warnos? And if you don't know, then maybe you shouldn't be playing with this kind of fire. Well, here's the thing. Right. I've I've spoken on behalf of the victims earlier. Now, 
I feel like I need to say something about the fact that these murderers aren't murderers just because they just woke up one day and they were like, well, I'm just going to do these heinous acts. Most people who do these things have experienced some real trauma in their lives as well. I'm not saying that excuses anything, but but there is sympathy to be had for the younger versions of themselves. Yeah. You can pity what they were. Exactly. And I don't know. It's like, I'm not sure how I felt about all this. So, but yeah, they, I feel like they needed to take a stance. Lily, Lily Rabby was not going to, I will say that she she's good. did a hell of a job playing this character. I feel like she's always killed the character she plays. Yeah. I don't know. I wasn't much for the hippie resurrectionist chick. I, she did it well. I mean, you didn't like the character, but she yeah, did it well, right? I guess. And she's playing Stevie Nicks young. Oh, uh, yeah. Okay. <laughs> so, uh, yeah, so Liz does does try to stop John. Tries to be a good wing woman. Yeah, and um, John you're, is... You're about to stick your dick in crazy and <laughs> ugly all at once, boy. Yeah, so, I mean, John, I guess that's his thing. He tried to do it to Sally. He's going to try to do it to Eileen. And she knocks him out before they can even get to the room. Uh-huh. Um, Somehow they make it back to the room, and he wakes up tied up to a chair. She's holding him at gunpoint and demands that he stops taking from her. So I guess what they're implying is that Eileen went into most of her murders with the clear impression that these people, record or not, were already guilty of something. Or it could be she did get raped a few times on the job, and then she started internalizing those and seeing Oliver Johns as victimizing her, even when she was a predator in the situation. I, again, I don't know. It's a bit muddied for me. Right. So she reveals that she's the 10th woman who's been put to death in California. And she says, look in my eyes. Is this a fucking costume? Yeah. This isn't a fucking game. What was her point about the 10th women? Like was, is California just going after women like i didn't have any i think it's to say that i mean there's only been 10 women in the history of california law that it's been determined that their acts have been so heinous there's only 10 women been put to death in all of the country that's not i don't know if that's true Mm. i mean because i can think of immediately three movies based on women who have been put to death in three different states okay yeah no it's definitely got to be california Texas just kills people for fun. <laughs> um, so she says, welcome to Devil's Night at the Hotel Cortez. And he takes that opportunity to break the chair. They have her little kerfuffle. Um, she starts to strangle him, but he gets the better of her and handcuffs her to the sink. Can you headbutt a ghost? Only if you are maybe a ghost serial killer yourself. Mm. Um, so this is clearly all taking place in his. I don't know. There's and, and something about these ghosts is, that can inhabit like corporeal bodies. Well, plus there's uh, it's the implication later on is that this is all taking place in his mind. That's not to say that these ghosts aren't real. Is it? But, but is it in the nature of a ghost to be there and then they're not? Sure. Yes. I mean, to just exactly present the themselves the and become a physical presence whenever they want to. I don't. Know I mean, Miss Evers ghosts. comes and goes whoever, whenever she pleases. Yeah, she's there. She's not. Elizabeth does the same thing, but she's not a ghost. So he gets her wallet and confirms that it is her, or she has Eileen's ID. Um. So as he's headed back down to the front desk, 
He passes a hooded figure. He looks at the guest book to try to find out who is all there, and Liz stops him. And I think it's a great... Um, it's great that Liz is covering both the front desk and the bar currently. Well, you know, that's one of the perks of being a ghost. I feel like that this is very strong evidence that this I'm is... on the side of Liz being also a ghost, not a vampire. Yeah, this isn't... I mean, she, she, yeah, she's, she's not a, um, a Kathy Bates type real person. She is some kind of discorporeal being. So he... <laughs> He says, I'm looking for the skank that I was with in the bar. And Liz goes, skank? Like, mm-hmm. she's going to be offended by that word. And she says, well, you have to be more specific. <laughs> right, right, right. Great. Because you, um, you could be referring to Sally. <laughs> I think that's got to be my line of the night. <laughs> um, mention And she mentions that it doesn't matter because when you go back to the room, that person's not going to be there. Mm-hmm. Um, and then says that James Patrick March is hosting the annual Devil's Night Party. It's a real Halloween. or No, it's a real holiday. Halloween is not that big of a deal compared to Devil's Night. Yeah, Halloween's a fake. It's the it's the Valentine's Day yeah. of satanic holidays. Yeah, exactly. Devil's Night's the real deal. Yeah, it's the Christmas of Halloween. <laughs> yeah. Um, and... Holds up this very fancy guest list and where you see all the names of the people who are going to be in attendance. And you see that John is listed at the bottom. Clue number two, that maybe John is the serial killer. Um, the Ten Commandments killer, I believe, is the uh, theory that we're working with. Yeah. No, I like that theory. Again, there's the evidence is ambiguous because I also want to say... If these you have to be dead and a serial killer to be at this party, John is certainly not dead. And there's a lot of ways you can interpret what JPM later says, but we'll I'll wait until that scene before we make that argument. John or Liz has gifted John with a suit. He go he arrives on the seventh floor, follows the music down to the party room, and the first person we see is John Wayne Gacy explaining to. The Nightcrawler had to make a good... The Night Stalker. Night Stalker. <laughs> had to make a good death floor. Eileen apologized. Nightcrawler would make a good Night Stalker. He'd just bamf into people's bedrooms, <laughs> kill them, then bamf out. <laughs> um, Eileen starts to apologize about what happened before. And she says, you know, it's cops in general. It's men in general. Don't you know? Um, and then March says that you have to sit in your assigned seats. They all do shots of absinthe. Um, now the party started. Yeah. Have you ever taken absinthe or drink absinthe? No, I haven't. I've heard but it I've, is pretty trippy experience. Uh, I've heard it's all a bunch of bullshit. Have you? Like maybe back in the day, absinthe was right, like like some real, real deal. Stuff. But like what you get now is like, you know, just your average liqueur. Yeah. So. To a hundred listeners sending in their crazy <laughs> absinthe stories. Yeah, well, I'd welcome that. Hey, off uh, shit, why not? So March decides that he wants to wax poetics more about how the impossible becomes possible here in this hotel. Um, Zodiac, He's like an evil version of Walt Disney. Yeah, yes. So it's Zodiac, the Tragic Kingdom. No yeah. doubt. <laughs> so, Gwen Stefani, Gavin Bush. <laughs> So Zodiac arrives, and then he decides to introduce the room. So we have in attendance John Wayne Gacy, who we know killed and abducted little boys. Yep, the clown guy. The clown guy. Which, 
the stuff the nightmares so are made cool of. to see john carroll lynch in clown makeup again so as soon as i saw him and who he was i'm like yeah yeah well when i saw the preview last week i was uh-huh. like oh shit twisty's back no. no, yeah, 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 no. It's it was it was great. A yeah. Nice touch. So then we see Jeffrey Dahmer. We all know who he is. Uh, we he introduces Zodiac, and this is where he says that he's John says that he's believed to be dead. Um, I'm just Aaron does not share that belief. John Patrick Marsh. Well, that's what they the canon of the show is. That's why they said it. I don't know why they went with Zodiac at all. I think that was a stupid idea because there are so many serial killers out there. You could have gone with someone who's actually has a face or just leave Zodiac out. Uh, Maybe uh, the only thing I can think of is maybe these killers are all going to be at the hotel from here on out and they're all going to get their own little subplot and the Zodiac is going to be. But yeah, if not, then just get rid of the ambiguity and Mm -hmm. the hooded justice look of the guy because that's the other thing. They can't show his face because who the fuck knows what he looks like. Yeah. So... Pick one of the others, uber famous serial killers. Yeah. So they say that. Um, or go full ironic and put Hannibal Lecter in there. That'd be pretty funny. Yeah. <laughs> something. Uh, so March um, is exposing again about how much, how great he is and blah, blah, blah. So they start to talk about how March is the master and the master all taught them. And he taught them to be indiscriminate. And to leave no evidence. Um, so this is where the episode really starts to drag. I thought the dinner proper was yeah. super boring for what it was spo- uh, supposed to be. Here I am struggling to explain it. Um, he says, "Have you seen my shoots and ladders?" So that's the title of the last episode. Mm-hmm. Is that? Um, Gacy, John Wayne Gacy talks about how he stayed first when he was young, and while he's telling the story, John starts to. What would you say? Hallucinate, trip? I don't know. What have you? Anyway, he loses it, and he Gacy handcuffs him to his chair, and he says, "Well, it's pretty much over once you have them handcuffed." Which that so, doesn't mean any, that I don't know if that's supposed to mean any, like is all this stuff going to be that prophecies once, that come true later on? But like, no, I think he's saying that once you handcuff a victim, then that's like their last line of defense. But what does that? What did that mean for this particular situation? He handcuffed him to the chair, and he's like, "Well, it's over." But it wasn't. Well, they didn't break well, John. They didn't kill gonna, John. Well, we're going to talk about that. Okay. Ramirez holds up his hands over. Um, he's doing a satanic prayer, and yeah. he's got the pentagram on sure. his hands, which I thought was strange to do at this point. Um, and you know, they all start talking about how great March is. Um, so Miss Evers serves the first course, which is salad, and Jeffrey Dahmer says, I don't eat salad. I eat people. Um, so Ramirez and Eileen decide that they don't really want to eat salad either, so they start dancing to the song Sweet Jane. Which is cool. Yeah. And, and Lily Ra- Rabby just kind of does her Lily Rabby dance. Yeah. That's how she she dances, That's like she's she permanently that. at a... Grateful Dead co- concert or a fish concert. <laughs> exactly. So uh, March brings out the amuse-bouche, which I thought was supposed to be a funny word for him, but is actually a French word for just like bite-sized appetizers. Mm-hmm. And it's um, a naked hippie dude, which he in, immediately uh, like starts... Like a loincloth? What's the point of that? And he starts drilling and shooting ass into his brain, but there's no reaction from this thing. So it's like, 
is this a real dude? The person that Sally brings in is a real dude, but then John comes to and he's in an empty room. Like, what the fuck is going on here? I some of this I think was supposed to be cool and trippy and scary. As but with I just thought every it was season, there's some disconnects here. So yeah, we're just you gonna swing have to for make the fences. Sometimes you strike out. I yeah. think that's what this. I was getting excited as the concept of this serial killer dinner happened, and the reality of it I thought was entirely underwhelming. Right. So John. with his free hand shoots Jeffrey Dahmer and he says, don't you understand that we're already dead? And we're only vulnerable to headbutts, but we still bleed. (laughs) He says, as he licks the blood off his finger. Uh Um, (laughs) so we see Sally outside of the front or inside of the front gate, still outside of the hotel. Does this confirm that the Halloween night thing means that none of them can leave the hotel? Well, I didn't know. It was the theory before that on Halloween night that they all got a free pass to get out. I'm not sure that it's established that Sally cannot leave the hotel. It hasn't been established, but it has been established that she can't either. So I think with the evidence we've shown, I'm going to say she can't. Okay. Um, Sally's smoking a cigarette and a man walks up and sniffs sniffs out a whore. (laughs) An easy score. Um, Which is what he's going to get with Sally. He says, my idea of fun is whatever you're selling. So... So a guy in a business suit, like a Wall Street type, goes to some gutter hooker for his drugs. Yeah. Because not? she's like, you know, I guess maybe if she wasn't so dated and she didn't have bruises and abrasions and track marks all over her, that maybe, like, obviously Sarah Paulson could be a higher class lady, but she's not in this show, and I don't know why this guy seeks her out. Right. So we go back to the dinner party, and... John's in and out, and March says, here's clue number three, and these are the exact words that I wrote down. I thought he would enjoy this, given the line of work he is in. You got to do it. But clearly, he is not one of our kind. I thought he would enjoy this, given the line of work he is in, but clearly, he is not one of our kind. Okay. Is that good? Yeah. (laughs) It's podcast You insisted. (laughs) Apparently, I can't read a line to save my life. Oh, <laughs> shots fired. Return fire. <laughs> Is it? I'm making fun of myself. <laughs> so they all drink to the master, and he says, I'd rather celebrate you instead. You represent American success. People make books and movies about you. See, and this is where I thought that Murphy's cloaking himself, and this is a, I'm holding up a mirror to you savages. If you want to complain about glorifying serial killers, then yeah, yeah. So... So he said, so he invites them to join him for dessert. Mm-hmm. And Sally escorts in the John she picked up. And she says, he's floating on an eight ball of China white. And this buys her one entire year of not being fucked with. I guess. But she still can get into the fashion shows. But we know she's dead. So what does fucked with in terms of a ghost mean? I don't know. What is Iris doing to earn her keep? What's Liz know. doing to earn her keep? Well, Does she have to make a sacrifice? Yeah, I don't know. I don't know. I think Liz is just awesome. Kathy Bates seemed to be doing all the scut work. I don't know. I think Sally's Sally... sacrifices to the mattress god should probably suffice, but what do I know about heroin? Maybe, <laughs> yeah, right. <laughs> yeah, I don't... I You know, we just don't... Four episodes in, we don't know all of the rules and backstories of these people yet. Because I would believe that Sally, maybe her big deal is that she's not a killer. She's just an addict. We're not going to know Which is why the answers. addict monster is always after her. Yeah. The addiction she, demon. The addiction demon. Sorry. 
I think Damon. he's always with her, not always after her. Okay. So they all choose a different size knife and they start stabbing at so this boring. guy. So so, so I mean, I, I feel weird wanting to see more graphic death on this show, but this is American Horror Story. Everyone picking a knife and stabbing a dude. Like, that, I mean... That's so Julius Caesar. That's yeah. so... I mean, they seem to get off on killing people, and it's the way they kill people. They all have different, like, I mean, jo- yes. Jeffrey Dahmer. Wildly like different to, MOs. Yeah. So stabbing people just suffices, I guess? That's I This is the soiree of the, I mean, I've seen... That's your big climax? Like, we've already seen more from JPM. You can't find six strangers that everyone gets their own. Yeah, it's a party. It's the Christmas of Halloween. I thought there was a lot, curiously, lack of horror and you know grossness and skin crawling with a room full of serial killers. And at no time that I feel like John was in danger, which I felt like that they could have maybe made me feel that a little bit too. Right, but I don't know. It just again. I just feel like the scene, the concept is good. It just the execution left a little bit to to be desired. Right, exactly. So John starts to lose it some more, and he passes out. Maybe he wakes up. I don't know. But when he does, he is alone in a dark room. Sally's there, and she's saying, "I found you alone, crying." He says he drank absinthe, and she's like, "Oh well, yeah, there you go. That's what you get. Victim blaming." She says, I'm your protector. You, and he says, well, you disappeared on me the last time. I tried to take advantage of that. And she's like, oh, no, sweetie, I won't leave you this time. And she, they leave the room and March watches them leave. So I think. Evan Peters cracks his jaw open as if to swallow a rabbit. Like a snake. Snake style. Yeah. And I'm like, he's just bad. So I think the idea here was that Sally was not supposed to take John. That in at this night, I think the idea with having John there was they were he was supposed to join their ranks. Oh, but but Mark but, said he's not ready yet. No, he said that he's not one of them yet. So I think that they were going to do something, and he seemed pretty upset that she left with John. But hmm. I guess we'll find out more about that later. I'm not sure what to make of his uh, snake jaw routine. So we. Cut to Elizabeth, and she's in full red vamp. She's getting all gaga up. She's vamping it up. Mm-hmm. Get it? Get Lamping it. it up. Um, she's And Alex appears, and she says, birth is a painful process, as you know, as a mother yourself. And she begs her to take her life. She says, you must surrender to me completely. And also, you must take off this stupid hat. <laughs> she brushes the hat <laughs> off her head. <laughs> um, she kisses her. And then Gaga, or Elizabeth, starts to cry as she cuts herself open and is doing more exposition as they're doing this whole process. It doesn't match up the scene. Like, it doesn't seem especially painful. We've had no evidence that this transformation is painful. I think That's um, a big part of vampire lore, but these aren't the, vampires. so I think the emotional pain is what's supposed to be implied here. Gaga is obviously she's crying and it takes a lot out of her. That's again, whenever she gets into one of these new love affairs, she's she goes in full, full hearted, and then she gets her heart broken. This is or a love she affair for her. Hearts. I don't know what it is. No, I think it's more like she's vibing off Alex's motherness. Okay. 
I'm just telling you what I read off the scene. I'm not. Maybe saying we'll I find that. I mean, and maybe may, I, you know we don't know her backstory yet either. Maybe she was a mom and her child got abducted, and this is why she's got a soft spot That's for her. Bullshit. <laughs> <laughs> but I just again, I think these two are terrible together. The camera flip at the end was neat visually, and it was yeah. a very strikingly shot scene. But mm-hmm. I hate these two together, and I'm not looking forward to them butting heads or fitting in hand and glove, whatever they're doing. I'm. I'm preemptively not in on. Right. You got to win me over, Murphy. <laughs> so that's all I've got. Yeah. That's all I got, too. Shall we get the feedback then? Yes. You can send feedback in to ahs at baldmove.com or you can go to forums.baldmove.com, too, to discuss it with us and all our fellow fans. Yeah. Nikki, uh, we got two episodes. We got two feedback from the previous episode. Nikki at first says the victims in the gossip side had gunshots to their head. Maybe he told them to stick out their tongues at gunpoint, or maybe he killed them and then nailed their tongues down. This is in response to our questioning of how you got your tongue nailed. But and I don't know where this is a continuity error or what. When they flash back to the woman getting her tongue nailed down and she was screaming. And she was still very much alive. She already had that, what you're calling a bullet wound on her head. So, I, and again, I she was alive com- when she was getting her tongue nailed down. So I maybe, I, I. No, I couldn't get confirmation that that was actually a bullet hole. Because when she was alive. Clearly it wasn't or she wouldn't be alive. Yeah, exactly. So, yeah, I, it's not a big point. I don't really care how they staged it, but. I don't know that, that that satisfies my objection. But still, if you are a sniper in the building across the way, how do you kill that many people without them moving sniper? from that fucking chair? Where did sniper come from? No, I'm saying that if this were to work, if you were to shoot people in the head without a single one of them moving their ass from their desk, you would have to have a pretty quick sniper. You'd have to have like, um, what's his name? American sniper. <laughs> Jason Bourne. <laughs> yes. To shoot all these people really quickly in the head so that way you can go in there and nail their tongues to the desk. I'm just saying that if you shoot a single one of my coworkers, I'm gone. I'm yeah, ghosting. Sure. No, I'm going to play dead. Yeah. I'm going to I'm gonna get I'm, I'm going to grab, grab some the, of their blood, make the, a little dot on my head. <laughs> yeah. Like I, you know, here in the studio, I have Got ketchup me. packets at, in within arm's reach. I'm just going to squirt on my head and be like, oh, I'm dead. But yeah, no, I'm not going to spend more time thinking about this scene staging than Murphy did. Uh, Nathan P. said, something feels strange about the show so far, and I think it's because of the time setting. Even though the show is in the present day, it really feels like it's set in the past, with the iPhones popping up every so often feeling like anachronisms. In seasons one and three, which are set in the present time rather than the 50s and or 60s, it felt like a modern time and story with elements of the past being brought forwards. Kind of how, like, an ancient curse or burial ground will affect people in the present that disturb it in most horror cliches. Oh, stop it. You'll give Ryan Murphy ideas. However, in this season, it never really feels like it's 2015. Hotel Cortez feels very outdated, which I guess is what they're going for, but that really just raises the question of how on earth it could have uh, been lasting in its current state for so long. The hospital scene felt really out of place considering the tone of the hotel, and the Ten Commandments killer investigation feels very old in terms of time setting rather than the idea itself. I don't know what I'm trying to say here. Maybe Murphy is making the point that you need to move on or be trapped in the horror hotel. John and Alex are still grieving over Holden and have become trapped in the past and therefore the hotel. Gaga's trapped by her need for power and also her quote-unquote disease, which I guess isn't a disease at all as there are zero drawbacks in terms of regular medical science. Um, so let's stop here. I agree. 
with that take on the time period. But and thank goodness March I, had the foresight to make all the walls Wi-Fi and reception proof <laughs> when he was building his murder hotel. Mm-hmm. Well, that might just be the ghostly interference. But I also well, think... Ghostly interference? Is uh-huh. that the scientific term? Well, ghosts are not scientific, so I can make up other pseudoscience bullshit I want. Um, I've watched a, a Ghost Hunter episode or two. Uh, I think that... Yes, this is all intentional, and I think that's one of the subplots, is that the Hotel Cortez is having to be to navigate the present day because, you know, whether you lost your money on in real estate or stock market or Bernie Madoff-type scams or you're just an old, dated hotel and a very valuable real estate, like the modern world is encroaching. Mm-hmm. And I think that's something that they're starting to deal with. So, like, I feel like that's going to be part of the plot if, we, if we're patient. Right. Uh, he also said, can I just point out that Murphy has lied yet again? Uh, Sarah Paulson is far from playing the biggest villain of the show, even if she kills and sews people up in mattresses. I wouldn't be surprised if at the end she gets some kind of redemption ending. Did Murphy say that Sarah Paulson was the A number one villain? I think you. I remember uh, you mentioning that. No, from my recollection, Sarah Paulson said that she was playing a bigger villain than she's ever played before. Well, that I'm might be. Sh- yeah, I'm not sure about what Ryan Murphy said about her character. Mm. Uh, by the way, happy Halloween. Got any spooky stories this time of year? All you'd have to say is Kathy Bates' accent and it would have made me recoil in horror. I was about to try to attempt it, but I was like, that's, I can't even. Her balmer, balmer. Balmer accent. Accent. Yeah, no. Didn't we say that we were going to tell scary stories? And I podcast? have the hotel story at my fingertips. Well, then tell it now. Because we are this weekend going to do a uh, charitable haunted house. Mm-hmm. We got assigned a room to decorate, and mm-hmm. we're going to do a five. I actually, I'm kind of worried it's going to be too scary for kids. <laughs> we're doing a Five Nights at Freddy's take, mm-hmm. um, and we are going to dress up as Fozbear and Chica and scare the shit out of kids um, in a dark room all yeah. weekend. So that's going to be fun for two hours on Saturday. It's not all weekend. Well, it'll, it's you know, I'm gonna, I'm not going to stop there. <laughs> <laughs> I'm going to stalk the streets of Anderson tonight, just willy-nilly. Better be in before sundown, kids, if you're in Anderson. Uh, So should I tell this hotel story? This is my favorite short, creepy story. A man went to a hotel and walked up to the front desk to check in. The woman at the desk gave him his key and told him that on the way to his room, there was a door with no number that was locked and no one was allowed in there, especially no one should look inside the room under any circumstances. So he followed the instructions of the woman at the front desk going straight to his room and went to bed. The next night, his curiosity would not leave him alone about the room with no number on the door. He walked down the hall to the door and tried to handle. Sure enough, it was locked. He bent down and looked through the wide keyhole. Cold air passed through it, chilling his eye. What he saw was a hotel bedroom like his, and in the corner was a woman whose skin was completely white. She was leaning her head against the wall, facing away from the door. He stared in confusion for a while. He almost knocked on the door out of curiosity, but decided not to. He crept away from the door and walked back to his room. The next day, he returned to the door and looked through the keyhole. This time, all he saw was red. He couldn't make any out any ah, he couldn't make anything out besides a distinct red color. Perhaps the inhabitants of the room knew he was spying the night before and had blocked the keyhole with something red. At this point, he decided to consult the woman at the front desk for more information. Elizabeth Taylor sighed and said, Did you look through the keyhole, honey? The man told her that he had, and she said, 
Well, I might as well tell you the story. A long time ago, a man murdered his wife in that room, and her ghost haunts it still. But these people were not ordinary. They were white all over except for their eyes, which were red. So the eye was looking through the keyhole? Right at him, like an inch away. That's not spooky. Fuck y'all. Fuck y'all <laughs> then. We're going on the feedback. That's creepy. Um, George S. I've got a creepy story. Do you? Yeah, can I All tell right. you? I'm going to stone face you. I'm ready for I'm it. I'm not reading off the internet, so I'm just going to tell it how they remember it. Are you ready? <laughs> okay. It should be fun. <laughs> so there was a, let's say it was a teenage person, teenage person, the official term, um, that went to bed every night, and whenever they felt scared, they would drop their hand down the side of the bed, and the dog would lick their fingers just to comfort them and let the person know that the dog was there. So they did that every night. So there was one night when this person heard drip drops coming from the bathroom attached to their bedroom, and they thought it was weird but didn't get up to check it out because they put their hand down by the side of the bed and the dog licked their fingers and they knew it was okay. So (laughs) when they got up in the morning to go and check what was dripping in the bathtub, they found that the dog was hanging there with its throat cut and the blood was dripping. And that's what was keeping them up all night. So someone, the killer just licked their fingers? Yeah. (laughs) Well, all right. (laughs) um let's move on shall we yes we shall george s i had been finding this season hard to watch because i didn't have any character in particular that i viewed as sympathetic without a sympathetic character and no one to root for i was close to giving up on the season entirely until i realized who my favorite character the season was i'm 100 on team scarlet this little girl likes sushi for lunch has her own cell phone and can escape police custody without detection when she found holden she made it her duty shown uh, wait, she made it her duty to show him some pictures and do some more research while also traveling across the city by public transportation. All of this to ask questions and obtain proof, something her father, the cop, couldn't. She has to deal with her flip-flopping parents constantly, going to therapy to make her feel worse about not being the favorite like Holden. But yet when she is helpful and gives the same testimony, which proves that she wasn't lying, her parents accuse her. She has to live with that horrible Alex, yet still finds time to read and potentially make banana cream pies at grandma's while daddy tries to shack up with a murderer. She is clear-headed, makes important decisions, and I hope the season ends with her having to put down the entire Glampire family in a hail of silver bullets and sharpened gumballs. I just think Scarlett made a really stupid decision by not A, telling her parents that she was going to the hotel, and that's acceptable. But while she was there, not answering any phone calls or texts that presumably her parents had made when they were worried about her before she's call- in the hotel. Before calling in the entire police force and choosing to fucking walk home alone when after she left the hotel, she could have had reception and, and a yet, cell phone. And yet everything turned out okay. Did it? Someone could have snatched her right off the street. It happens to children every day. Oh, uh, now wait, wait. Literally we can't on have it every both ways. single block. We <laughs> 300 million children, children go taken... missing in the United States alone. Constantly. That's a fact. Constantly. The second you take your eye off your child, they will get snatched. And it's be your fault. You're a terrible parent if you don't <laughs> yeah. watch your child 100% of the time. Is your child in school right now? Why are you not watching them? Uh, well, you should be sketching them. Just just so the police have an accurate description of what they look like at this second. Can you describe me right now what your child smells like? 
<laughs> Do you have a candle that smells like that child? Yeah, it better be jasmine or corn chips. Corn chips, yeah. My kid, yeah, if he hasn't had a bath in a couple of days, he smells like corn chips. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Not a pleasant smell. Hef from Connecticut says, hmm, John gets invited to Killer's dinner. Hef is repping his theory hard here. Yeah, he is. Mart says he's been watching him and believes he has greatness. Still looking pretty damn certain that my prediction was right. John is a Ten Commandments killer. The question is, will he choose to learn from the master, or will he discover the truth about himself, reject it, and reach for redemption instead? He also has a rant about Alex being a shitty character, but we we I think we've got that oh, corner. Yeah, we got that corner covered. Yeah. Uh no, I way to go, Hef. I think you're you're right on. It's not a hundred percent confirmed, but since this is happening episode four, seems like it's it, it's a done deal. It's canon for me now. Amy J says, Wes Bentley's acting is unbearable. He's clearly going for some film noir, stoic detective archetype, but it's just not working. His scene with Miss Evers was dreadful and ruined what was actually an interesting plot development for her character. I have mixed feelings about this. <gasps> I forgot to mention. I guess we should pause to say, are you on this Wes Bentley? Because I actually think he's doing a bit, and the bit he's doing is kind of interesting and funny. Um, yes, I'm on Wes Bentley's side of being a terrible person. But what I really wanted to say is, speaking of victims of serial killers and serial killers being glorified, what the fuck is Miss Evers doing with James Patrick March? Not clear. Her son was murdered by a serial killer, so she decides to join one and assist him in killing people? Uh, so I'm going the to fuck? I'm going to guess that this is going to be a tragic story. Similar, I mean, it already is a tragic it's story, is, yeah. but it's going to be kind of a twisty to clown type of tragic thing that she maybe that JPM is made her laugh. Well, maybe JPM somehow bamboozled her in her grief or promised her a way out in the same way that Elizabeth is promising Alex eternal happiness, which that's not going to work out. So I. It's not clear to me yet, but I'm I'm expecting them to do something interesting and tragic with it. But on to the emailer's point. Wes Bentley's playing the same person he played in American Beauty. Mm. (laughs) Just the very stoic, things are weird, aren't they? No, I think he's going for uh, like a film noir detective. Yeah. But a pair... I'm not sure what you call it's not a parody or a send up, it's a satirical mm-hmm. take on the genre. Uh Tanya, well though even though John may still turn out to be a very unreliable narrator, my prediction that he was involved in Holden's disappearance was wrong. So we got Hess Hef repping his theory, Tanya taking her lumps. It was Elizabeth <laughs> saving him from neglect. But now I want to ask, what about Scarlet? No one gives a crap about this kid. Her mom's a glampire now. Her dad's probably a serial killer, probably a drunk, who leaves her alone at fashion shows with little weirdos named Lachlan or Laughlin, or however you spell <laughs> I have a pretentious name. I hope she kills everyone, Firestarter style, because I could see her totally playing the role of Charlie. Charlie? I don't know. Is that Firestarter? I, I don't. Guess. I've seen that movie, but I don't remember any of the characters or whatnot. I know Drew Barrymore. She has a fire spraying pineal gland that she's going to unleash upon the world. Yep. That would be cool if she burns down the Hotel Cortez. Yeah. Scarlet's got potential in the future, right? They're going to do something. The implication of serial killer dinner certainly seems to be that John is, in fact, a Ten Commandments killer. It might explain how he survived living in Room 64 all this time when no one else has seemed to make it through even a few hours. The Swedish gals, Max Greenfield slash Schmidt from New Girl... 
But I wish there was some indication that he has an issue with sin or any religious affiliation at all, right? Doesn't it seem like the Ten Commandments killer would hold some kind of opposition to breaking them? I can't even recall the mention of the Big Ten from anyone except Sally the last episode. Is I've, that a plot hole, the fact that he doesn't seem to have any kind of motivation for this Ten Commandments killing? No, my headcanon okay. says that he is feeling guilt after the disappearance of his son Holden. Mm-hmm. So he could have developed a disassociation, um, a separate personality. Mm-hmm. That has this preoccupation with doing right by your family and the law and God uh, while still doing his day job. Hmm. So, I mean, clearly he is looking for the serial killer at the same time that he could potentially be committing these acts. So I think it's definitely a bipolar situation, if at all. Hmm. So I think that's why. I'm I'm kind of with Tanya. I, I wish there was some inclination. That he, although I guess that might be too on the nose if he was right. super religious. They and haven't even course. give us any real clues this episode if this is really a true theory. Mm-hmm. All right. Well, that's all the feedback we have this week. Again, you can send more in to AHS, Alpha Hotel Sierra at baldmove.com. Hotel. <laughs> Ooh. And uh, we also accept your feedback through forums.baldmove.com. Got a little strangely stilted there. <laughs> uh, coming we- down off my white Russian high. Feeling I'm settling in nicely, <laughs> getting ready for lunch with Jim and Aaron. We accept the feedbacks. We do. Via email, forums, Facebook, Twitter, smoke signals, snail mail, Pony Express. All that stuff. I don't think the Pony Express is still going. You know what is going? <laughs> Us right now. Happy Halloween. Uh, take your kids trick-or-treating or go slut it up and drunk it up at some adult party. Those are your two options. It's, None it's other. Good, it's a good, there's, yeah, or te- if you're a teenager, go TP the neighbor's house. Yeah, uh, if you're between 13 and 25. <laughs> what? We will see you next week. Until then, I'm Aaron. And I'm Cecily.